had to do this episode, so here we go. This is by everydayfeminism.com. Okay, so Jenny Brown is a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism, as well as a speaker and educator specializing in sexuality and relationships. She writes for various publications and has her own blog here at everydayfeminism.com. She lives in the Philadelphia area, Philadelphia area with her poly family and three cats. Follow her on Twitter at liar l-y-n l-i-r-e-l-y-n all right jenny brown wrote this so it says july 7 2016 it's hard introducing new sexual desires into relationships here are six ways to start as a sex educator i often hear questions of this type i like to start doing this thing how can i talk to my partner about it maybe get them to try it because i'm polyamorous and open about it the thing quote-unquote the thing people ask me about is often some form of non-monogamy from polyamory to the occasional threesome, but it could also come up when there's a particular fetish or kink activity someone wants to practice, or even if it's just a new sex act like anal sex. It can feel really scary and vulnerable to confide in a sexual desire. What if your partner laughs at you? What if they think you're a bad person for wanting this? What if they can never look at you in the same way again? Our culture and many cultures around the world imposes so much shame on sexuality. Everybody is expected to be quote unquote normal, which means wanting these things and thinking those things are gross and, uh, and unnatural. The truth is anybody who studies sexuality in depth, D-E-P-C-H can tell you, is there's an enormous range of quote unquote normal for sexual interest. As long as the sexual practice doesn't violate anybody's consent, there's nothing wrong or perverted about sexual desires that go against the narrow range of what's considered quote unquote normal in any one society, and they're a lot more common than most people would think. The freedom to explore and express our sexual interests is a feminist issue because of the ways patriarchy shames and constrains women, men, and non-binary people into a narrow range of desires and tells them all others are off limits. Patriarchy says that if we ask our partners to try something interesting, they will judge us for it and they'll be right in doing so. As feminists, we reject that message. The whole idea that you can be a quote-unquote bad person for having a sexual desire goes against what we know to be true. That sexuality and desire don't actually fit in with society's oppressive and narrow ideas, so you don't deserve those judgments. As feminists, though, we also prioritize consent, which includes not pushing people's sexual boundaries. Too many times I've seen one one partner argue another into trying something they didn't want to do. That's sexual coercion, and it's not okay. So as we approach a conversation about a new interest, we need to walk a fine line. Plenty of space for our partner to express their own feelings and desires about it. Then we have to work together to find a solution that's best for both of us. It's a tall order, but here are some steps that will help. One, get comfortable with your desires. Before you even start a conversation with your partner, you need to have a level of comfort with the desire you have. Otherwise, you may go into the conversation with their approval or affirmation that it's okay for you to want this. That's an unfair burden to put on somebody who may not even have thought about this until you bring it up. And you need to know that your feelings are valid regardless of how your partner reacts. So find some sources of affirmation for yourself first. BDSM and polyamory have large online communities where you can read stories by people whose relationships and sense of self saw wonderful improvement. For any particular sex act or sex toy, you can definitely find articles online by people who love it. You also probably find articles by people who hate it. 
nothing is for everybody. Looking inside yourself is important too. Do you believe this would be good for you? Does thinking about it make you happy? Those feelings are valid. You have a right to pursue a sexual life that satisfies you, even if others don't understand it. Go ahead and tape that to your mirror if you want. In a world that tries to shame us for every deviation from sexual quote norms, even when many of those sexual norms are pretty harmful and consent negative, it bears repeating. You have a right to pursue a sexual life that satisfies you. To get comfortable with their right to have different desires. Here's the flip side of the affirmation I just gave. Your partner doesn't owe it to you to satisfy your desires. They also have a right to a sexual life that is healthy and satisfying to them. And sometimes their desires are going to be very different from yours. Sometimes when we find something that really fulfills us, we become downright evangelical about it. If only more people knew, we think. If more people saw how great this is, they'd be so much happier. It's very natural to move on. This is bad. Nobody should do it. Or to this is awesome. Everybody should do it. It's a lot harder to stay with our own experience and say, this is awesome for me. I don't know how other people feel about it. This is even true for things that are considered normal. Some people don't enjoy receiving oral sex. Some people discover that marriage and settling down isn't right for them. Nothing is for everybody. You don't need to figure out how your partner will feel about the desire or whether it will be good for them. That's their job and they might not know until they've thought about it. Your only job is to give them the space and the information they need to figure it out for themselves. Three, recognize any inequalities that might create a power imbalance. In a perfect world, we'd be able to talk about our wants and needs with our partners and know that they're advocating for their own wants and needs just as strongly. Unfortunately, this isn't a perfect world. Social inequalities mean that often one partner feels they have less power in the relationship, including less freedom to say no to something they don't really want. For example, women dating men often feel they don't have the right to say quote unquote no because of the way they've been socialized to cater to men's needs and wants. Their partners need to be more deliberate about creating space for them to communicate their feelings. Racial inequality, mental illness, physical disabilities, bisexuality, income inequality can also create power balances in the conversation about changes in your relationship or sex life. The last thing you want is for your partner to agree to something not because they want to, but because they don't feel they have the right to say quote unquote no. Or because they can't afford to lose your support. This conversation needs to be about you working together to fulfill both of your desires, not about one of you using your power to get the other to agree to something. Or talk about surrounding desires, not just the thing itself. I don't believe that all sexual desires have some big psychological secret behind them. Again, I don't believe that all sexual desires have some big psychological secret meaning behind them. I do, however, believe that in a lot of cases, a specific sexual desire. Say wanting to try group sex or bondage or installing the sex swing is more like a school of fish in a single whale. Ooh, I, 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 by the way, I want to do uh, bondage and sex swing. I just had to say that. Okay, what does that mean? A school of fish moves like a single bigger, a school of fish moves like a single bigger organism, but it's made up of a bunch of individual fish. A sexual desire can also be made up of a bunch of individual ones that came together for you into one burning desire. For example, for one person wanting to try group sex could include a low pressure opportunity to try same sex contact, that would be me. Excitement at the idea of watching and being watched during sex, that's me. 
wanting to feel sexually adventurous after years of routine, wanting to, that that's me, these are all me, and the appeal of how cool it would sound to tell friends that they did that, oh, that's all me, that, those are all my reasons to, for me wanting to do group sex, absolutely. For another person, desires that make up an interest in group sex can be totally different. Not wanting to do a specific sexual thing can also be made up of a bunch of individual wants. Say your partner is maybe unhappy with the idea of group sex for them. It might mean performance anxiety, not enjoying sex with new people, or fear that this is just a step on a road to you leaving them for someone else. When you focus on the big desire, the school of fish as a whole, you're much more likely to reach gridlock with, I want this slash I don't. If you can talk about the needs, wants, and desires behind each of your feelings, you understand each other better and be able to work on a solution that meets both your needs. Five, respond to their yes. So you start the conversation, your partner has said yes. Maybe they've been secretly fantasizing about the same thing. Or maybe they're not sure they like it, but are willing to try. This is the ideal outcome of the conversation, but that doesn't mean the conversation is over. Make sure to keep communication channels open as you begin exploring. Expectations aren't reality, and it might be that either or both of you finds this new sexual activity isn't for you. It sometimes even happens that Jamie convinces Kim to try something, and that's where Jamie finds out that they don't really like it, while Kim is hooked in much more. Whether you're the partner initiated the idea or the one who said yes to it, it's totally fine if your feelings change after giving it a try. Maybe you find that this is something that's hot for you in fantasy, but not so great in reality. Maybe you need to try a different approach, different circumstances. There's no shame in having different feelings than you expected or needing to renegotiate and make some adjustments. It happens all the time. It might help to talk to other people who've been there. Our first try at polyamory was a disaster or using that sex swing we brought was so awkward or stories a lot of people have. Whatever happens, stay flexible and tuned into each other and have some sexy fun! Lastly, number six, this article. As you've already prepared for it, your partner may say, No. How about no? How about, uh, hell no? You might get that. A no can be anything from nope, never, to I don't know if I want to try that. Anything that's not a yes, you need to treat as a no, at least for now. You can always invite them to tell you if they change their mind or ask if it's okay to bring it up again six months from now and see what they think. The conversation doesn't end with no, though. Hopefully they said no without shaming or judging for having desires you have. They responded to it without guilting or pressuring them. If not, you probably want to step back and work those issues before coming back to the sexual conversation. If you try to have it with the shadows of shame, guilt, pressure, and judgment, it can create serious hurt and distance rather than bringing you closer together. If you're able to communicate with mutual respect, the first question you might want to ask is whether there are compromises that would work for both of you. Go back to point number four, talk through what individual fishing quotations wants you both have. Again, go back to point number four, talk through what individual fish wants you both have. Many partners are able to find a compromise solution that makes both of them genuinely happy. Sometimes though, there's no compromise that will work your desires are too different. If this is something you wanted, you wanted to try, but it isn't essential to you, that's the end of that. As long as you're getting your sexual needs met overall, not Getting to try something you thought would be fun and relationship compromises you have to live with sometimes. If you come, if you come to the conclusion that you need to pursue the sexual interest to be sexually fulfilled, you may need to either end or restructure your relationship. The idea of ending a relationship over sexual incompatibility is scary 
and comes with its own kind of stigma. Many friends and family will blame the person who left because the sexual needs weren't being met. I personally believe that it's healthier to separate than to live for years and years feeling frustrated and unfulfilled. So if that's the way a bad this, this desire will feel, a separation might be worth considering. Opening the relationship or maintaining a platonic partnership usually, but not always so that you can continue to raise children together, are options that don't involve a full breakup and that work very well for some couples dealing with sexual incompatibility. Looking back to point, to point number three, if your partner depends on you for financial and physical needs, you should work to figure out how to keep supporting them or help them find other sources of support. Otherwise, they may cave and agree to try what you want because they feel powerless and afraid, which is not what either of you want. So it probably takes some time, weeks, months, sometimes years to figure out the solution. That's best for you both. Being respectful and kind to each other is the best way to ensure a good outcome, even if that outcome is separation. Remember, having conflicting sexual desires doesn't mean either of you is doing something wrong. In a world that tells us our desires are shameful, affirming our right to feel the way we feel is courageous. Opening up. Sharing our desires with our partners is even more courageous. If both partners approach with mutual respect, the honesty, and vulnerability of such conversation can be great for your relationship, no matter what happens. This article has helped. You might even want to start the conversation by asking your partner to read it so that you both can be on the same page. Whether your desires line up or are as different as can be, you can talk about them together without creating shame or guilt for either of you. Instead, you can work as a team to create the sex life that makes you both happy and brings you closer. And that's what sex and relationships is all about. I, I, hey, I live by all these um, forms of sexual wisdom, if you will. Let's talk about the group sex, Alan. Yes, we're going to talk about this again. So, I am into legal massage parlors. Right? Yes, I. I look forward to frequenting from time to time sex clubs, swinger clubs, lifestyle clubs. I look forward to having non-monogamous sex. I look forward to group sex that takes place in private or clandestine locations, including homes, hotel rooms, and private clubs. I look forward to the private clubs and hotel rooms and homes. I look forward to the circle jerks, um, the gang bangs, the threesomes, the three ways, uh, the menage trois, the foursomes, the four ways, the double pen- penetration, monogamous group sex, the same room sex, also known as soft swapping. I look forward to the spinturion. That's a double, double penetration. Yeah, I did. I look forward to the daisy chains. Um, and when they talk about running trying to somebody as long as we're all having enthusiastic consent enthusiastic quality enthusiastic respect enthusiastic trust enthusiastic safety I'll, I'll participate in running trains on someone so just being real I look forward to frequenting um, swinger parties and gatherings so I can have my fun. Look forward to these swinger parties. I look forward to participating in orgies. Dude. 
I do. Hey, it's all again. Every type of sex I have, but it's good sex with the person sex. It has enthusiastic consent, enthusiastic equality, enthusiastic respect, enthusiastic trust, and enthusiastic safety. And it's all within law and reason and the do no harm principle. Not too much, not too little, just right. I'm that way when it comes to anything and everything, anybody and everybody. I just love being this honest. I really, really do. Um, whew, okay, I got that out of my system. And so, I also want to make it clear um, that I don't objectify anybody. Because that has happened to so many people, to be clear. That's not who I am. I think that has caused a lot of pain in the lives of like women the most. Um, and I don't want to participate in that at all. Uh, I can compliment without being a male pig. what I can do and I could compliment without being a pig at all I just wanted to reassure that I'm very respectful so uh, I'm going to do this next article uh, this is by Susanna Wyatt um, Susanna Wise is a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism, a New York-based writer whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, Salon 17, BuzzFeed, The Huffington Post, Bustle More. She holds degrees in gender sexuality studies, modern culture, and media, and cognitive neuroscience from Brown University. You can follow her on Twitter at Susanna Wise. Okay. Um... Three ways to be sexually empowered without being sexually entitled. Many feminists have recently come to us that women, particularly those who sleep with men, should make their own pleasures much better priority as their partners. For example, we've begun to call we've begun to call out orgasm inequity. The unequal distribution of orgasms between men and women, especially heterosexual cis women. Cis meaning cisgendered. Uh, heterosexual women report orgasm during 62% of their sexual encounters while heterosexual men do about 86% of the time, a dynamic that results from the societal privileging of men's pleasure over women's. We're traditionally not even thinking about women's enjoyment, that's fucked up. So should we maintain a status quo where women's satisfaction is considered 
optional while men's is deemed mandatory, or should we demand the orgasms we're entitled to? The answer may seem obvious, but I'm going to propose a third alternative. Um, we should consider women's desires as important as men's. However, some recent statements promoting such consideration have bordered on sexual entitlement. Now, I have no diss against Nicki Minaj. I like her. Um, but she's quoted in this article. That's why she's brought up. I demand that I climax. I think women should demand that Nicki Minaj told Carlos and Paulton this may cosmopolitan dismay listening praises throughout the feminist media while the ability to climax during every sexual experience may not rank as urgently as other feminist issues sexuality is a core part of the human experience we sh why shouldn't we demand equal orgasms for all feminist author jessica valentine from the garden i know this against her at all she's just mentioning this article however there's more than one feminist issue at play here while many <coughs> excuse me <laughs> While we need to think about equality in our social interactions, we also need to think about consent and equality that comes at the expense of consent is not true equality. Closing the orgasm gap would mark a big step forward for feminism, but the proposed solution of demanding orgasm from our partners also mark a step back for consent culture because making demands of any sort in the bedroom does not involve getting a partner to please ask consent. There's nothing wrong with wanting partners to care about our pleasure and listen to our desires. In a relationship, each person who has others' needs is important as their own. When we imply that anybody has to do anything for us sexually, we start to disregard affirmative consent, which says we should only have sex with explicitly enthusiastic partners. When Nick Minaj and Nicky was just one instance in which feminists have advocated for sexual equality with language that doesn't consider the nuances of affirmative consent. Uh, in July, Amy Schumer told Glamour that she advised women who sleep with men, make sure he knows that you're entitled to an orgasm. Now, Huffington Post executive women's editor Emma Gray wrote in a review of Magic Mike XXL, women want to imagine ourselves in the starring role of a sexual fantasy that was crafted for us. We demand all of those things. We're entitled to all of those things. What if men demanded orgasms from women? What if men said they're entitled to starring sexual fantasies that women crafted for them? When the tables are turned, it becomes clear how making demands and acting entitled can make one's partner uncomfortable. It's also become common for women to say they deserve oral sex. Hey, there's nothing wrong with oral sex, okay? There's nothing wrong with women having the right to oral sex. There's nothing wrong in sex and appearance and other types of sex that are often stigmatized for misogynistic reasons. That's true. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with women wanting to have sex on their appearance. There's nothing wrong with women wanting to have other types of sex that society that society um, makes out to be um, women bashing. I'm just saying, ladies, y'all have the right to have the type of sex as you can. Well, please, I'm not trying to take that away from y'all. I want you to enjoy yourselves and whoever y'all with, whether it's just not traditional, it's all good, okay? A woman should never do anything sexually for a man unless he goes down on her, a friend once told me. Again, it's worth unlearning sexual norms that put men's pleasure above women to stigmatize acts that aren't inherently unappealing. What if a man said he wouldn't do anything sexually for a woman? A problematic construction to begin with because it's unhealthy to do anything solely for another person without enjoying it also unless she went down on him. Many would find that unfair because some women don't enjoy that particular act and they still deserve attention from their partners. 
Believe me, though, I've been there. I've gotten frustrated with people whose sexual preferences seem to have sexist roots, and I wanted to make them change. I didn't even realize how problematic it was to demand sexual pleasure as a means of empowerment, so I found myself behaving according to this doctrine. For example, I'm reading the author, okay? For example, through reading feminist publications and talking to other women about sexuality, I realized that our society stigmatizes menstruation, and that some people's squeamishness around menstrual blood stems from this form of sexism. So when I passed Carter told me he wasn't sure if he wanted to sleep with me while I was on my period, I took that as an affront to the jars. I didn't think he had the right to turn down sex on those grounds. But, but we always have the right to turn down sex, even if our reasons for turning it down are problematic. After we talked about it, I realized that what grosses us out and makes us uncomfortable is largely out of our control. So I could talk to him about the politics of what our society considers gross, and I could try to get him to understand why that particular stigma is problematic, but understanding this intellectually would not necessarily change how he felt. And, there's, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with men who, who like their oral, who like to have sex with people in periods, who want to have sex, society would make to be misandric, uh, okay? I just want to be fair to the men too. That I like menstruation. Um, I don't mind sex and menstruation. I am all for giving and receiving oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, out any sex position, any sex act. Okay, as long as there's no human waste, there's no being burnt up, and my genitals are not crushed. I'll give a fuck. I, that's how the fuck I roll. I suck and fuck, okay? So I'm not disrespecting anybody. I just want to clarify some things that sexual preferences are awesome and no one should try to change them, okay? Okay? We have to be true to ourselves, but we can't disrespect anybody. So it says, he was generally averse to bodily fluids, but even if his distaste for period sex stemmed from the societal notion that periods of gross women are unclean, it would still be valid. Implying otherwise would pressure him into sex, and that's never okay. It is this distinction between critiquing the sources of someone's desire not to do something and making them do it is lost in many narratives of women's sexual empowerment. Understand it yourself. It's a tricky line to walk. How do acknowledge it's unfair that women have fewer orgasms than men without pressuring our partners to give us orgasms when they're not up for it? How can we claim that women have as much a right to oral sex as men without demanding our partners perform it? We can still challenge the view that women's pleasure is optional while men's is mandatory and expect our partners to care about what we want without pressuring those who to our desires but don't want to fulfill them at a given moment. We can even reject misogynistic norms without pressuring partners who are unwilling to make our sexual relationships equal, though they may mean not though that may mean not sleeping with them here so here are some suggestions for embracing sexual empowerment without the entitlement that sometimes accompanies calls for bedroom equality one talk about what you both like and dislike before you get into bed in any other sexual setting where you engage in sexing however y'all define it Nobody's entitled to anything sexually but one thing we're entitled to do regardless of gender is to express our desire so one big step making women's pleasure as much of a priority as their part is to listen to what women like and dislike or to make this LGBT group plus friendly what people like and dislike okay during these discussions people can clarify what they want from sexual relationships so they both know what to expect 
For example, you don't want to give your partner oral sex if they don't reciprocate it, which again should perhaps lead to the question whether you want to do it at all. It may help to find out in advance if they don't want to give oral sex so that you don't. If your desire for reciprocation comes up while you're already in bed on sexual settings, the partner may sense your disappointment and feel pressure. Or if you learn a partner doesn't like to do something you normally like, you can talk about other ways to make sure you're equally satisfied decide not to enter into that sexual relationship at all. Sometimes women's pleasure is ignored simply by default. By voicing that you want pleasure and telling your partner how to provide it, you're changing that dynamic. These conversations are often better to have out of the heat of the moment when both people can think rationally and express, express themselves clearly and in advance so there are no surprises that could cause disappointment and tension. Two, communicate your sexual desires as requests, not orders. Everyone has the right to voice what they like as long as they make clear the other person can say no without negative consequences. For example, there's a huge difference between saying, I really like when you touch me here and you have to touch me here, or between saying, could you go down on me? And you have to go down on me. I've noticed you sometimes stop after you come and I have, and I really like it if you could help me finish. It's also very different from, I need to come every time you do. While you're entitled to ask for what you want sexually, you're not entitled to tell anyone what to do. So, that ha- so then, what happens if you make a respectful request your partner says no? Their reasons may matter to you. For example, it may help to know that even if someone doesn't enjoy giving oral sex, they're not opposed to pleasuring you in principle will gladly do it in other ways. It may also be the case that they don't have the time or energy to help you to orgasm at the moment, but would be happy to do so another time. None of the reasons, even if you're disappointed or your ego is wounded, make it clear that you're glad they told you don't want them to do anything they're not excited about. If, on the other hand, your partner is habitually unwilling to reciprocate the pleasure you give, that might be a deal breaker for you. That's okay. Being sexually incompatible, otherwise not having your sexual needs met, is a perfectly fine reason to end the relationship. But it would be coercive to try to change their mind. Even if your partner has no reason for refusing to honor your request of them wanting to get more pleasure out of the relationship than you, you can deem them selfish and unfair, but you can't demand that they change. Think of it this way, if a woman abstains from sex because she has been taught it would harm her purity and reflect poorly on her character, that belief is worth challenging, but everyone still must respect her decision. Trying to change someone's sexual behavior in the name of feminism creates a relationship where people make sexual decisions for reasons other than simply wanting to and nobody should feel obliged to do anything they don't want to do sexually or otherwise. Three, have non-judgmental conversations examining the sources of your preferences. Sex is another form of oppression for a huge role in shaping our sexual desires. But no matter how problematic our preferences are, we still have to have them and we shouldn't have to do anything we don't enjoy just to be politically correct. Take my ex, for instance. Even in his aversion to period sex were based on a rational fear that he would get cooties from it, I would want him to do it if he didn't want to. Instead, in this hypothetical scenario, we could talk about his reaction and how he learned it. Shifting the blame off of him and onto society could have let me start that conversation without making him defensive. Might even lead him to see how problematic his preferences were, though I couldn't expect that awareness to alter his visceral reactions in the same way. Oppression can influence what we do like, and that's okay too. Our friend, one friend who prefers to be sexually submissive, though she thinks she developed that affinity through the stereotype that women are submissive, because she and her partners acknowledge that the stereotype is problematic but blame society, not her, they can still indulge their desires without contributing to the stereotypes they stem from. If you and your partner give each other permission to have problematic sexual likes and dislikes, you can have some surprisingly honest and eye-opening conversations. The discussions might not change anybody's mind, but that's not the goal. The goal is to understand what our partners prefer and the reasons behind these preferences without any judgment. 
It's not fair when women's questions neglect that women expect to give more than they receive. Everybody deserves the same consideration from their sexual partners regardless of gender. At the same time, nobody's entitled to anything sexually from anyone else. In order to reconcile fostering empowerment with avoiding entitlement, we need to develop sexual relationships based on communication, consent, and self-awareness. When it is never okay to demand anything, but it's always okay to ask. That way we can challenge double standards regarding sexual pleasure without challenging anyone's individual boundaries. After all, women's sexual disempowerment is an issue larger than two people in bed and all the other sexual settings together. Someone can simultaneously want to see women more empowered and not want to cater to a woman's desires at a given moment. We should apply the same standards for sexual enjoyment to, anyone, to everyone, but we should apply the same standards for consent to everybody as well. And that means this means both encouraging empowerment and eliminating entitlement. Um when they mean by entitlement, they're talking about abusive entitlement. Like, there are things in a relationship where you can feel healthy entitlement. Like, if you um, have the type of healthy sexual relationship where y'all compatible, you pretty much like the same things, dislike the same things, then that's a healthy kind of entitlement because it's not about um you or that person being in danger it's more of hey we are into the same thing so yes i'm gonna yes i'm going to get this and they're going to get that right we're both gonna get this both gonna get that right so healthy sexual entitlement means that it's the kind of entitlement that doesn't destroy anybody's body and doesn't destroy anybody's soul. It's different. One is um, it enhances our sexual relationship. The other one makes the sexual relationship very um, coercive. Okay, so you have I am for healthy sexual entitlement. I am against abusive sexual entitlement. One is an enemy of rape culture, and the other is a friend of rape culture, okay? So, another one that I really uh, wanted to discuss is this all applies to the LGBT plus community too, because I don't want the LGBT plus left out, and they, and they really shouldn't be. They really shouldn't be. Um, so I'm going to, I also want to say this last thing about religion, and I won't talk about it again for a month. Um, April 3rd, I'll talk about religion. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe all of the verses of all of the religious texts are either real or symbolic or both real and symbolic. I don't know which of the three is true. Okay, done. No more religion talk for a month, officially after that. And I also want to say that I am for top freedom. Top freedom in this case would be 
It's a cultural political movement seeking change in laws to allow women to be topless in public spaces where men are permitted to be bare-chested as a form of gender equality. Specifically, the movement seeks the repeal of overturning of laws which restrict a woman's right not to have her chest covered all times in public. In addition, top freedom advocates seek allowing nursing mothers openly breastfeed in public. Hey, as long as y'all around adults and children aren't watching, and it and then the adults are cool, you know, they're, they're the type that just, you know, let you be you, and that's all good. Um, I just, I, I, I had to, I had to say something. So, for example, I am for alternative uh, lifestyles. For me, it would mean that I am for body modification. I am for tattoos. I'm for body piercings. I'm for uh, surgery, plastic surgeries. I'm for all surgeries. Um, I consider myself a hippie at heart. And uh, I look forward to getting a Grandma Claire tattoo on my left chest and getting one ear piercing in my left ear and I do that. And uh, I don't mind cross dressing or transvestism. I would just do it um, to help empower LGBTQ community. And it would never be about effeminizing any man, especially black men. No, no, no. It would be about satire. It's purely satirical reasons, that's all. Um, I just love telling the truth because I don't want to repeat certain things. That's why I'm getting it all out right now. Um, as you know, I'm for new Disney clothing option lifestyles. Yes, I'm going to participate in new Disney clothing optional. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to participate in nude events and nude recreation. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> Swinging. Look forward to that. That's my sexual practice. Look forward to. Um, you know, I don't mind downloads. As long as some people like look. This is the sex we have. I don't really care what your sexual orientation is. You know, we're sexual but I don't, you know, if they're, if they're okay with you not being exclusively heterosexual, then it is what it is. But if they have a problem with it, then you definitely need to talk about it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, as y'all know, I love sexual role play. Love sexual fetishism, but I don't fetishize people. I love partialism, but again, it's not for me. It's not an unhealthy paraphilia. What else? I don't mind ripped clothing, revealing clothing. Hey, you know, hey, just be safe. Be safe. I don't mind provocative clothing, provocative words. I don't mind those things either. Those things are just fine. I don't mind homeschooling or I don't mind co-parenting. I don't mind co 
friends co-parented, they both raised kids together, but it's platonic. That's cool. I'm for home birth too, so okay. Um well, pretty much no, I just love alternative lifestyles of any kind as long as it's within law and reason and it follows the search model. This ain't quite respect to safety, it's all enthusiasm, I'm all for it. And with that being said, um, I'm done.